Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded from Sophist, the podcast where we take you through the major news and topics facing importers and manufacturers in China and Asia today. Hello, everybody. This is China Manufacturing Decoded again, our weekly podcast, and this is episode ninety-one, I believe. And today we're going to talk about. The long-term costs of poor quality and poor reliability of products, right, that are sold in the marketplace. And to talk about this, we have two guests today.、Uh, this is going to be a great episode, and the two guests have already been on the show.、Uh, so we have、uh, Clive Greenwood and Andrew Armenovin, and and both of them have extensive experience on that topic.、Uh, in in、uh, Various companies that they have worked with or worked for before. So, hey, welcome, guys. Hi, Clive. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? Good morning,、uh, Andrew. Good morning, Mel. <laughs> yes. Good morning, Clive. And and once again, good to be here,、uh, Renaud. Thank you. All right. Great. So, both of you have already been on the show, but maybe some of the listeners are, are new here. Maybe we can we can give a short intro. Maybe、um, maybe Andrew, do you want do you want to Introduce yourself quickly, and so people have an idea where you come from and what 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 experience you come with. Absolutely.、Uh, well, my name is Andrew Amirnavan. I've been in this、uh, reliability and quality business for over twenty years.、Uh, my background is in electrical engineering, MBA in technology management, and、uh, CRE, Certified Reliability Engineer. I worked for companies such as. GoPro, LG, AT&T, Nokia, and basically my background is more in quality and reliability engineering in electron in、uh, consumer electronics,、uh, but I also have、uh, some experience in、uh, medical products and military type of、uh, environment where you actually take into account reliability from、um, a theoretical point of view、mm-hmm. from. Early in development,、uh, all the way through the growth period, testing, planning, and、uh, and, and shipping it to the customer.、Mm, right, great. Yeah, thanks. And、uh, Clive, do you want to do a, a self intro? Yeah, sure. I'm Clive Greenwood. I'm basically a quality consultant working in compliance with medical devices. I worked for over twenty seven years now in quality management. Uh, I work predominantly with ISO standards and American FDA type standards. My background is in manufacturing quality and quality assurance. I worked with companies such as Nokia, with Sigma Telecom, and with Northrop Grumman. Now, basically, as Renel says, I tend to be very strong-minded when it comes to quality. <laughs> yes, makes for interesting discussions. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So,、uh, yeah, for the listeners, so Andrew is uh, uh, works with, with with me closely. Actually, is on the, the leadership team of our company, Sophist,、uh, helps our clients、um, build reliability into their products and make sure that it can be tested and confirmed.、Um, and and Clive is、um, yeah is is a consultant and for some very.、Uh, How to say、uh, projects that require a very deep uh, uh, knowledge of、uh, quality and safety standards, especially in medical.、Uh, Clive is always a good resource for 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 our clients. All right, so let's let's get into the topic. 
again, about the long-term costs of poor quality and poor reliability. First, I thought we would open up with a few examples. You know, what, what does it mean exactly? You know, what, what are these guys talking about? So let's take some examples from the recent past that really blew up and have represented humongous costs. So people yeah. can actually uh, relate to it and understand, okay, that's what they're talking about. So maybe, you know, at the scale of my company, what will it look like, right? So uh, maybe, uh, Andrew, do you want to start with a couple of examples sure. that we, we, we usually give uh, people? Yeah. Right. I think that everyone has uh, have has pretty much, uh, you know, heard about uh, what happened to the Samsung Note 7 uh, way back in, 2016 to 2018 i mean this is um, a beautiful phone and no one ever expected any issues with it but situation got so bad that these uh, phones were having uh, basically spontaneous explosion of the batteries and it got to the point that airlines banned the phone uh, from being onboarded you know their airlines I mean, this is a kind of situation where executives who had uh, Note 7, they switched to iPhone or some other phone. The company lost huge amount of customers. They, the cost of that whole um, issue was over $5.3 billion. That's We're what, talking billion. That's what the company, yeah, that's what the company themselves said, right? More than exactly. $5 billion. That's uh, exactly what they said themselves. You're yeah, right. Yeah. It's all uh, documented. But yeah, it uh, the truth is, yeah, yeah, exactly. The truth is they probably lost uh, a lot of long-term customers and um, a lot of other related areas that we'll talk about later. And then, of course, there was this other issue that I think a lot of people heard about it and it lasted for almost two years. And that was the Boeing 737 MAX these airplanes were just basically dropping from the sky. This happened roughly around 2018, 2019. And um, uh, there was just a small software glitch, software, faulty software that caused it. But they, by the time they figured it out, over 300 people died in these crashes. And it's just uncalled for. All you got to do is make the product better so you can prevent these kind of incidents. And again, the costs, I don't know if Boeing has put a number on it, I guess so, but it, it's again in the, the billions of dollars. And then if you add up also oh, their no. supply chain, all their subcontractors. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what I heard was that uh, basically uh, some of the costs will be uh, calculated this way. The, they cut the production by 20%. So imagine... Uh, so many airplanes that were supposed to be sold now they won't and then of course lawsuits and a whole bunch of uh, other people had had to lay off because there was lack of work a a lot of i think that as you said it was over several billion yeah an investigation and and, uh, yes (laughs) much closer uh monitoring of what they're doing from now on (laughs) absolutely absolutely people were not getting on these planes for years to come uh clive do you have uh, one or two examples to, to share well i suppose the biggest one that i worked in over the past two and a half years was the debacle with the uh so-called covid masks mm-hmm. 
uh, as we know, we've spoke at length and mm. I've actually wrote three white papers on the subject. Um, mm. What we were looking at here, is, I mean, I, I spent some time analysing things and even though I wrote two years ago about it, it seemed to be uh, an inconvenient truth for, for many. That's now resulting in global um changing the supply chain it's now representing significant liabilities which are during court processes now the the knock-on effect of that was a people not understanding what they were buying and c uh, so and b people making things that they didn't have a clue on what they were making and three a complete and absolute failure of quality monitoring systems across the globe. And that's, you know, selling a product which is really a dust mask as a medical product, for me, is totally unacceptable. Um, the other ones that I'm working with are a new one, as, as, you, you, as we said, which is an electronics failure. And I'm getting to the root cause of this, and this now looks very likely to be a, a fundamental design flaw where products are, or components within that product, and Andrew, you better speak more to this, where that they are operating in an environment which are simply not designed for. Right. I'm talking about, about SMT uh, applications here where a product's designed to work in a relative humidity average over the past three years of 83.7%. And as you know, that's well outside the normal uh, design tolerances for resistors and capacitors, which are, which are placed on boards. Right. Um, again, what we're looking at here is the total effect of this is a company that's actually losing national share of its marketplace. It's already lost at least three countries where the product is totally seen as scrap value. Wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is not good. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, the cost of quality, I mean, I've basically looked at, 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 at what Deming said um, and then looked at what he said and how that's been wrote into uh, – national standards or international standards, especially 9001-2015, section 8.3 and 8.5, where, you know, a design, one of the requirements there is that the design can be manufactured, but what it doesn't say is a design which can be manufactured to a quality level acceptable for its working environment. And I think that that is a failure of a quality system to, to actually understand reality of manufacturing that's that is very true <laughs> and that's why people talk a lot about quality and making sure blah 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 quality building quality in the design and so on and so forth but we are amazed and andrew can certainly uh, talk about that i guess is how many people develop a new product and think, oh, yeah, I want good quality, I want good quality, but they never think about reliability of the products. And, yeah, as Clive said, is basically making sure that the product works, you know, in a use case and a use environment that it can keep functioning on. And this is just off of people's radar. Is, is that correct? 
Well, it's, I mean, if I may jump in there. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the requirement for manufacturing standards and design requirements, okay, uh, let's look at where this starts. I mean, the designer should always be able to, to provide a detailed DFMEA because that is where you're going to set the roadmap for quality. You know, we talk about design for quality, but really what we're really meaning here is the design itself should be evaluated with known and unknown conditions, which which may or do apply. Now, if you look at Section 8.3.5 of ISO 9001 mm-hmm. and also Section 8 of, well, of ISO um 16485, and if you want even to go into section seven of TS 16949, every one of these standards talks about understanding the customer requirement. Mm. Now, the customer requirement, and let's be brutally honest about this, the customer requirement is that the product works and is reliable. (laughs) Nobody wants to buy a product which doesn't work, and no one certainly doesn't want to buy a product which is unreliable. Yes. And how long is going to keep working? Yes, how are they exactly. going to use it? In what environment? And, da, da, da. and yeah. if if some people are in um, in, in Tucson, Arizona, and some people are in uh, somewhere in, in, in Alaska, well, <laughs> it's got to work for all of them. Yeah. I mean, so what I've looked at here is, is COPQ, which is uh, cost of poor quality, and the source of good quality, COQ. Uh, C-O-G-Q, which is the the cost of of good quality. Now, where I feel that people misunderstand this is they don't realize that the total cost of quality or or basically the accumulated cost of quality is a mixture of these two things together. So so the cost of poor quality plus the cost of good quality to get a total idea of what the cost of quality is. Now, if you are having to build repair repair facilities outside of your manufacturing environment, that is a cost. If you're having to, in today's world of high shipping costs, if you're having to actually recall products, then Mm. this is is a pendulum which can swing in any direction. And then it's really outside your your control of cost. So you can't build that into any model. So what what I'm suggesting is this, that, Product designers need to to be more akin to engineering and the engineering requirements. I mean, would you agree with that, Andrew? Uh, yeah, I do. Actually, I think that in order to really prevent uh, this cost of quality and be able to have a better, more reliable product, then the first thing you need to do is think about how you can make your product design more reliable, right? And the next thing is, how you're going to test for reliability. And of course, manufacturing control for reliability and also manufacturing testing. These are critical, let's say, tasks that need to take place during the development to ensure quality and reliability. And I think if you bypass or miss any of the, any of the, the key tasks in this process, uh, you're looking for trouble. Mm, yeah, I mean, you're familiar with the PDCA and the principles rely all around PDCA. I, I think actually, so. Yeah, 
I've actually said that, okay, before that happens, there needs to be an I in there, which is the identification. Right. So I identify, plan, do, check, act. And have that is a constant revolving door, yeah? Exactly. Exactly. Now, if you can remember your, your days back when we used to do the Nokia drop test, remember that? Absolutely. Nokia invented the drop test. Yeah. How many times could you could you actually replicate the same amount of failures? Because it, it wasn't structured in a way. It was, okay, it, the phone shall not split apart or the screen shall not break and things like this, yeah? But you could actually pass the test, but when you actually looked and did an X-ray on the boards and things like this, all sorts of problems were found, yeah? Of course. That, yeah. This, if you're not familiar with this right now, it was a simple case that uh, if the phone was dropped from an average desk height onto a concrete floor, what would happen? And it shouldn't break or split apart and stuff like that, yeah? Yeah, well, the covers and everything disintegrate, yeah. basically. Battery comes out. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, I, I never forget that because uh, in Nokia, we found that happening a lot. So we decided that we'll just go ahead and consider that as a normal thing and they actually designed it so that it would disintegrate and not damage the internal but i wanted to get a little bit more uh i don't know or not if you have a little time i want to get into Mm -hmm. uh how to make a more reliable product so you can actually prevent all those cost of quality yeah let's let's go into this exactly yeah and and then we'll because topic is actually what you know these costs so then after that, we'll go into the, the like typical sources of costs. But since you know the discussion is going in the direction of what to do to prevent all these issues, which is the most important, uh, definitely please keep going. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, to make a reliable product, well, first thing you must think consider the design to be reliable. I mean, to do that. Uh, you have to look into use case environment for the product. You really have to understand that. Uh, you have to look into uh, how to do design for reliability uh, into that uh, product. And then with reliable components like, and materials, I mean, that that is really, really uh, the key because a whole product is con- consists of, uh, you know, several hundred sometimes uh, components. And all you need is one and not to be reliable and you're looking to, for trouble. And of course, you know, looking into the effects process, design for excellence, like design for assembly, design for manufacturing, design for reliability, design for quality. Uh, and design for testing. Exactly, design for testing. And, and you can't uh, do without design FMEA for uh, basically risk analysis, risk assessment, and then, um, uh, in mechanical engineering, you should do FEA, finite element analysis, and look into uh, components uh, and suppliers that have reliability and quality systems. And then, mm-hmm. of course, analyze and keep track of the history of the field failures. This is This is like the first basic right at the beginning of the design. Mm-hmm. Now, once mm-hmm. you go through that, uh, like you said, uh, Clive, then you've got to test it, right? If you don't have some kind of a really good reliability testing methodology or process or plan, 
how are you going to determine if your product is valid in terms of reliability? Is it passing or not passing? You would never know. So it's very critical that you understand how the customers will use this product so you can test it, right, and plan for that testing. And consider product storage requirements. Uh, be mindful of how uh, the product's going to be shipped. Um, is it going to be by boat, by airplane, by truck? Imagine, you know, it's going through rough roads on truck. I mean, the vibration alone could damage the product. Um, yeah. Creation of appropriate reliability test plan is, is really the key and, and critical. You know, there is this uh, new process that came about with, um, I think, Dr. Hubbs was the uh, inventor of it. It was called HALT and HASS. And that's mm-hmm. a great, uh, yeah, in my opinion, that's one of the latest uh, reliability techni- techniques that really works in terms of accelerated life testing uh, for s- certain products that, you know, certain size and weight. And I really think that it does help accelerate finding the issues early in the development so that you don't have to deal with it coming from the field. So I don't know, uh, Reno. You wanna you want me to talk about the manufacturing control for reliability and testing? Well, I mean, everything you said is 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 spot on. There's also the the selection of the suppliers. Uh, ah, yes. Uh, yes. Maybe Clive, do you want do you want to talk about that? Well, because if, I mean, I, I'll pick... just follow on with what with what um, I just follow on with what what Andrew's saying. Hmm? We must accept, uh, uh, you know that that any product, no matter what that product is, is only as good as its weakest link. Exactly. And if that weakest link has been chosen because of price over quality, then you have a product which is wishing itself to fail. Yeah. So so first and foremost, we we must make, you know, or or I try to, to explain to clients that, not only are you looking at the cost of quality as in failures, which is quantifiable, yeah? You're also looking at cost of failure as regards the company's reputation, as we say with Samsung, something that it, it will probably take years to recover. Exactly. Boeing's embarrassment is, is a classic case, okay? But there are so many more. Now, if you are choosing a supplier that doesn't have what we would call a recognized quality system in place, one which you can audit and verify, then you might as well basically just throw away all claims of quality of a product, in my view. Right. And, yeah, because, because, because it simply is you cannot, you cannot substantiate it. And it's not just about the, the quality system, right? There's also, I mean, they might also have their own... Uh, you know, test results and, and and specifications and so on. They, I mean, ideally, if you don't have a if you don't have a quality system, you cannot verify it. Mm-hmm. Your quality yeah, you could, system is there to is used there to verify of what you do. If right. you, I mean, if you look at let's say the easiest standard that we know of to get is ISO nine thousand one two thousand and fifteen. Mm-hmm. Providing you say what you do and you do what you say, you can actually get that certification. Now, for me, this is a baseline entry. It's not something which is a, a gold standard by any stretch of the imagination whatsoever. That's for sure. That's for sure. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. Now, the implementation of your of your production quality, your design quality, as a proven, verifiable, and validated system, is the starting point where you can at least trust a percentage of what the supplier is saying. Not everything, mm -hmm. but a percentage of it. Mm -hmm. Now, let's assume, and we, we come across this, as you well know, in Asia, that component buyers buy the cheapest thing that they can, and quality is very rarely brought into it, or, at mm -hmm. or, or probably as a last-minute thought. Mm -hmm. Whereas yes. what we are saying is that quality should be the first thought, not the last thought. When people are designing products, they must, they must think about the manufacturability and where and the components and where these components are going to come from, how they are going to control the qualities. We all say, yep. okay, yep. you give us a an acceptable quality quality limit. Okay, well, as Denning said, if you cannot describe what you're doing, then you don't know what you're doing. Now, let's, let's look at this in, in, in a realistic and holistic point of view. The designers design to a customer requirement. So do we understand what the customer requires? That's exactly what Andrew said. You've got to know, this is why we have in the medical device industries, you have a, a pre-market survey and a post-market survey. Your post-market survey tells you how you're doing doesn't actually stop you from doing it in the first place, but it does on a future model, shall we say. Yeah, it's a bit <clears> too late, <throat> right? Yes. Yeah, it's a bit too late. Yeah, the, the, the <laughs> horse is well out of the stable and halfway to the next town before you yeah. find out that you've done something wrong. Yes. Okay. The aspect of what I'm saying is that the total cost of quality in its combination of both the cost of good quality and the cost of poor quality together and the cost of rectifications must be thought of at the design stage. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because without, that, yeah. without that, you cannot build a, a, a real design evaluation. You certainly cannot do a risk analysis because your risk analysis would say, Correct. item Correct. one, line one, I don't know what I'm doing. Correct. Yeah, and that. Yeah, that. And 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 yeah, it comes back to what Andrew was describing. It's really yes, exactly. Uh, same ideas. Yes, you you yeah, you, say, yeah. you analyze. You think of the risks. You you try to take it into account as you design the product, and you also try to specify certain things about the the components themselves at that stage, uh, so that a procurement agent. Uh, cannot just run off and 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 pick the cheapest one or the 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 easiest one to buy or, or whatever the 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 one that would send a few parts just for prototypes you know the fastest without without charging or something like that no that's not <laughs> yeah that's not and, and if you're going from if you're going from that point of view and I think Andrew you you back me up on this there is no way in a million years can you make any assumption about reliability from that point forward. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, honestly, uh, you know, I, to your point, um, a lot of times what happens in development is that all these engineers, and I mean all of them are good engineers with good intentions, but unfortunately they become tunnel vision. Here's my project. 
I've been told to design this and I'm just going to do that. They forget the fact that you have to look into the big picture of how this product is going to be used in the field by the end user, by the customer. And what kind of environments could be impacting it? Are they going to use it in Alaska? Are they going to use it in Hawaii? Each one of these environments is going to have um, very interesting uh, impact uh, uh, on the reliability and quality of the product. The other thing that you, you brought it up um, uh, to your point, to Clive, is that many engineering levels, they don't really understand quality and reliability. And, you know, and, and I don't think, you know, it's really their job. That's fine. But many uh, higher level quality and reliability teams need to educate the development team on very simple questions. What are you designing? Do you know your customer requirements? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you going to manufacture? Do you know how to test it? How are you going to evaluate the design reliability, design quality? And if they don't ask these simple questions from those team members, I think you're you're looking for trouble. I think so, exactly. Okay. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would say, I mean, I do actually run training courses, as as Renault knows, for mm-hmm. people to to actually to try to get them to understand that you know if you put an engineer. In a, in a room with some quality guys is going to feel very uncomfortable. And that's probably the wrong way of looking at it. But if you if you actually, uh, my train of thought is taking me to, to, to a basic fundamental aspect when it comes to manufacturing. That is that the design manufacturing, or the design to manufacture, should I say, has to have the design to manufacture at a quality limit. Now, let's assume that you are, your quality levels will always relate to the product price. No matter which way you look at this, it's always the same. If you are making a low cost product, do you sort of fudge the issues when it comes to quality and reliability? And the answer to that was if you have a short-term business plan, maybe. But if you're wanting to build a business as a long-term view, in this I mean 5, 10 years, 15 years, then the concept of, of cheap product must be equated to throwaway product. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. This, this, you know, when it when it comes to mind, is the current trends of mobile phones. Your mobile phone is probably only good for twelve to eighteen months, and then you might as well throw it away, yeah. Right. Because because if you look at the recharge rates of lithium-ion batteries and lithium-cobalt batteries, you're only looking at maybe what three thousand recycles, and then the battery itself is gone. Three hundred, you mean? <laughs> right. Well, yeah. yeah, right. But yeah, I mean, you could say the same with 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 with, with the with, with electric cars. Okay, yeah. you know, eventually, you know, you've only got you've only got so many recharge cycles before you have to throw away the engine. That that probably is not very good. Well, okay. plus in in the latest yeah. Tesla, it's what it calls structural batteries. So you have to throw away the entire car. You can't really take the batteries out. <laughs> Yeah, you throw away the car, it's throw away technology. 
But okay, so the question would be, can you have reliability at a lower cost? And I, I don't know of anybody that's actually managed to crack that one yet. There well, is always an offset, yeah? Yeah, so so that's a very, very good uh, topic of discussion. I don't know if we can actually cover that. But I'll tell you, I totally agree with you. Um, uh, I, I bought some Christmas lights, right? And um, very cheap, very cheap. How cheap? I'll tell you how cheap. The plug that you plug into the wall um, has wires coming out of it uh, so thin. And we're talking, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're talking, you know, uh, city power, you're right, 120 volts is coming out of these yeah. two thin wires. And uh, I accidentally knocked this little box that that has the buttons, you know, to turn the switch mm-hmm. on so that the lights flicker different, you know, rates. Well, the box opened up and I was imagining <laughs> some kid not knowing mm-hmm. what that is, and then just putting his hands right on top of the box, which is totally open, and electrocuting himself. And it's just a five, $5 lighting. So that is, I consider that irresponsible product development, where you don't even have the basic safety for yeah. covered in terms of being electrocuted, right? So I think... Honestly, I personally would stay away from what I call really, truly cheap product because, yes, you're right. In those kind of situations, in those kind of products, uh, quality and reliability was not even an, uh, a, a factor. They didn't even consider it. Uh, mm-hmm. But if we're talking about standard products for day-to-day use and so forth, I would assume, I, I don't know if you agree with uh, with Clive, um, uh, but Renaud, I would say that you definitely want to at the least cover the warranty period, not only to cover your losses, but also mm-hmm. that should be a standard minimum reliability testing so that it at least lasts for a year. And then sometimes companies get lucky. If it lasts for a year, maybe it lasts for five years, right? And maybe mm-hmm. if it lasts for a year, maybe it lasts for 10 years. You don't know because there's a, that statistical probability thing that is work. Because if they did the test and they caught um, the main issue and fixed it, most likely it'd be a good product. Yeah, I mean, that's where national standards comes in and compliance to these national standards, which is obviously, as Red Hotel will tell you, I'm, you know, I'm very black and white when it comes to that. It, it, it either meets the standard or it doesn't meet the standard, and there is no in between. Um, products, products which are supposed to be sold in a particular ge- uh, jurisdictional location or, or, ge- or geographic location must meet that international or that national standard. That is simple, of plain, mm. and and unrefutable. The problem is how many shall we say men in the street will can walk up and say, right, that product should meet I, uh, ICEE standard number so-and-so or so-and-so. People are really just not educated in a way when it comes to product safeties and product reliabilities because they're only interested, and let's be truthful, they're interested in how it affects their pay packet. The, the whole concept of safety reliability is often trumped by it's cheap. 
Right. Oh, yeah. And it's you know, not the, a level this, playing this is, field. Yeah, I mean, sure. it's not the same. I mean, I can remember when I, I built uh, rebuilt a BMW 250, if you remember those. Which oh, was wow. a straight yeah. six, yeah. I rebuilt it. I bought it from a scrapyard and, re- and totally rebuilt it. And when I was rebuilding the engine, I saw that the, that the crankshaft was a little bit tired, yeah. So I wrote to BMW, "Can I get a new crankshaft?" Absolutely. So anyway, I said, "How much?" And I got the message back: BMW crankshafts don't wear out. And I got one back in the post. Oh wow! <laughs> okay, free free of charge. Yeah. Now, that, that to me is like, well, I wasn't asking for a freebie. It was a simple case, you know. I was asking a question, where can I buy a new one from? The, and the guy says they don't wear out. And, yeah. and, and I got a, a nice new shiny one. And <laughs> yeah. that, that to me has always stuck with me uh, as being, this is what it means by investing in your product. Yeah, and because then, they basically uh, yeah. they got they got the the bad one from you because they're going to learn so much from it. Yeah, exactly. and and that's why they give you a brand new one. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that a lot. So, Renat, you you want to uh, basically guide guide us through uh, which which topic we should be talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, because the, the topic is about the costs themselves, and really, yeah, we, we t- touched on it quite a bit here and there. But if we try to make a list. A list of these typical costs. Once you know, let's say, bad products reach the marketplace, what um, what 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 are they, right? Because it's 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 actually not a short list. <laughs> right, no, it's rather a long list. Right. What 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 comes to your mind now? Shipping. I I could put it down to shipping costs of recovery. I could put it back to rework or re-engineering. Then a total recall of product, which now you're mm. coming into irrepar- uh, irreparable damage to rep- reputation. Yeah. I could add to that a couple of more. I think that, yeah, go on. Uh, in as you mentioned in manufacturing, you you probably have to have because you didn't have proper quality and reliability testing, and you're catching all kinds of issues. Now you're thinking that I I need probably new uh, inspection points, right? To, mm-hmm. to be able to catch these issues before they go out. Then you have increased rework and repairs happening, mm-hmm. massive returns and product recalls, and uh, you're allocated different kind of rooms. Where are we going to say, uh, restore store these so that we can have time to rework these? A lot of people, manpower being allocated to these yes. uh, returns, mm-hmm. loss of sales and revenues, this customer dissatisfaction, tarnished brand image is the biggest one that happened to Samsung at that time. That was worth billions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Customer complaints and investigations. Of course, high warranty costs. This is the big one. You never really want to pay warranty. And whenever you have that, that is a, a sign of a poor quality. Need for excess inventory, like I said, find the yes. space to store. And then finally, we talked about it, you know, legal uh, fees and fines because of uh, uh, issues happened, people died or, um, you know, financial damages. Right, right. Uh, and just to let's take a simple example, because people sometimes don't really realize that because all of this sounds a bit abstract. But let's say set a product, let's say in the US, and you, you have 
you know, and you say, okay, let, you know, let, let's budget for, for a 5% return, you know, which in some product categories is not crazy, especially, you know, if you sell on Amazon and people can just send you back anything for any reason uh, and you can really fight back. Uh, but there are some other channels like that. 5%, what exactly does it mean? I, I remember there's a few examples from past clients that really stuck with me. I remember an example of a, um, uh, a company that, that, that sells um, like train sets and things like that. These complex toys with a lot of accessories. Okay. And in many cases, it was a problem of like one screw missing, you know, so you people, you know, especially the manufacturer in China did not understand what's the problem. Yeah. From time to time, we're missing one screw, you know, yes, or that sometimes there's two screws extra, whatever, you know, but for the, the brand that was selling that, it, it, you know, that means, number one, a very upset customer. You ruined my Christmas. We could not make it work. Right. You know, it was a Christmas for the kids. And, like, it was the centerpiece of the, the evening. And, like, it didn't work. Da, da, da. Second, they had to FedEx one screw in a hurry. That was, you know, with the labor uh, together, it was it was more than 50 US dollar every time just for one screw. Right. Right. <laughs> and then, well, you know, of course, bad, bad reviews in, uh, in, in, um, in social media and on Amazon yes. pages. Yeah, and there, there is, yeah, there is, there is this one that we haven't touched up, which is the double-edged sword of social media when it comes to quality, mm. you know, the, the reaction is probably now, well, it, well, it definitely is more instantaneous uh, because of social media, and, though, and thus the uh, the veracity which it can come back at you is much more than what it was before. I mean, before social media, basically, you could get away with 100 returns or 200 returns, and it didn't really make much difference. But nowadays, those same number of returns has a knock-on effect which can quantify by by a factor of 3,000%, whatever, simply because of social media's effect that there is on, pro- on product branding now. Oh, yes. So, I mean, I want to get back to this idea of why is this going on? And, and I've got one big note that I've wrote on my piece of paper here. Yeah. Go ahead. And something Go ahead. Which, I, which I push when every time I do a, a, a talk or a speech or, 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 a, or a lesson, okay, which is that product quality and reliability failure is a failure of leadership. Mm-hmm. And this is what we need to, to get over to people, that it is, in fact, the vision and the leadership and the investment, which is now, shall we say, led by accountants and not by quality people. Mm-hmm. This is what is a crux, I believe, with many of these failures. Would you agree, Andrew? Yeah. I, I totally agree. I think that um, way back, a good example will be like this way back uh, when I was young engineer, I had a cold call from a company that they had a very, very low throughput in manufacturing. And um, I recall going for any of you and I said, let me take a kind of a tour of the manufacturing and development team areas. And I found out that um they had no kind of quality and reliability, you know, process or procedure 
uh, not in the development with the design and uh, engineering teams and not in manufacturing. So, yeah, of course, you know, uh, I told them right away that if I had to do and put together a process, I had to have management support. Why? Because to your point, Clive, you know, every time um, uh, quality and reliability professionals always have to be in battle with the design team. Uh, there's always this uh, point of contention, you know, I really need to test for this. And the designers come back and say, no, you tested it too hard and you broke it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fact is, uh, there's there's a really uh, a fine point how you develop your test plan so that it doesn't go test a failure where re- design engineer would be right and or it doesn't pass automatically where uh, the reliability engineer wouldn't be doing his job. Uh, The idea is how do you find that perfect um, test plan where it catches the issues, but it doesn't necessarily do a false failure. This is the art of a reliability engineer. And this is where the only way you're going to pass the point of contention with uh, the design team is to prove it from one build to the next that here it is. We found these issues in reliability testing and the design team says, show me and you show them and they go and test it and they say, Oh, by golly, you were right. Yeah. So repeatability of tests. Once you've done that right, then you got the design team on your side because now they're looking at you as a support, as someone who's going to help them not be embarrassed at the end of the day. That's communication, though. Exactly. Uh, I mean, that's why I always tell people to build an obeyer room. Okay? Build an obeyer room and (laughs) do not not silonize the design team, the manufacturing team, the testing team. Exactly. These these need to be a team of one. And, and just so, I found that the, the best yeah, way is to have an obeyer system which which allows people to to easily visualize what you're saying. Because we in quality we can be very conceptualized. We look at what ifs, whereas designer, well this is what I need to do and things like this. So I believe that communication is a key factor. In getting absolutely. to what you're talking about there, Andrew, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Just to make sure people understand, yeah, the, the Obeya um, system with the Obeya room and so on uh, doesn't have to be really in a room. I mean, that's um, that, 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 that's often done and it's very good. But I think the key idea that that, that you mean, Clive, is that um, make the the the, the facts you know, speak to people, make them visible to everybody, uh, make it very clear where there are issues, make make it very clear where improvement is needed, make it very clear who has to do what and bring people together around these to, to, to visualize it, go over it and sort of agree and commit to, uh, to working together to fix these, um, you know, the data and the trends and so on for the, for, 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 for yeah, for the improvement of the whole company, uh, right? Yeah, this, good, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. This and is that's where management. The, yeah, that's, it goes back. Leadership. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, and this that... is why I said IPCDA, because if you follow that mm. principle, yes, you are identifying issues. Oh yeah. Identify the issue, and plan a way to actually test that issue. Oh yeah. Oh, it shows okay. you what you yeah. need to work on, and 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 so on. Absolutely. And I think, uh, yeah, the uh, Deming was saying that something like 85% of the issues actually can only be fixed by management because you need to put the system in place and that's what will create the issues or prevent the issues. And that's what would really determine the, the, the whole company performance. Right. Um, right. I think it was 85%. What, 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 yeah. yeah I, I think, I think in the reliability engineering, we use another tool called Pareto analysis where it kind of goes, uses the same methodology as Deming said on that 85. So, a lot of times what you see is that maybe one or two critical failures are causing 80% of the problem. But as a good reliability engineer, you really need to identify that to the design team. They don't know. They don't know what it is that you want them to fix. And once you identify that one critical component, they will love it because once that you fix that, you don't see that again in the next build, then you know you've done a good job. Right. You have them put the finger on what needs to be improved. Exactly. Um, yes, it's, it's totally right. Totally right. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, the, the, you, you've got to look at the, what I'm doing at the moment, which is root cause analysis, is everything that I've seen so far, okay, always you know when you drill down into it it always comes down to have we analyzed what this is going to do yes have we right okay so what con i mean a big a big i ask a couple of questions when i go to companies if they say the manufacturing i ask them what their cpcpks are now if they can't tell you that is a worrying sign okay straight away that's a red flag do you mean if they're tracking it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if they're tracking it, yeah. Um, uh, and if the answer is no, well, okay, let's talk about your certification and your accreditation because obviously yeah. are you given the resources? And if you look at what it says in Section 2, of ISO 9001, okay, when it comes down to leadership and management, management shall provide the necessary resources too, yeah? Yeah. So, yeah, if, no, we don't have any budget for quality. Okay, there's your second red flag. And to me, I'm at the point of walking out from that supplier, basically. Right. Yeah. yeah? One thing that uh, maybe, maybe, Clive, you can talk about one area that I really like in quality, and that is 8D, uh, corrective action process. I think that is really, really a, a critical uh, process for uh, root cause analysis, isn't it? Yes, I would, I would, I would suggest that if you're looking at, if you're looking at the the customer corrective action requirements, you must be looking at at what point did the need for corrective action start? Now, obviously, when you're yeah. looking at complaints, you have to assume, and here's where it comes in, you assume that the customer has used the product within its design limitations, correct? 
Right. Unfortunately, you cannot prove that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. but, but but the part it, that it, it automotive yeah. you can because because now you, the, the car records everything the driver has been doing since it left the since it left its last last service. Yeah, right. Um, with other products, that's not so easy. But you know, Clive, the part of the eight D that I really like is the fact that you find some field issues on a current product, then. Most often what happens is that the engineer responsible for finding those issues from the field, he fails to report it to the design team that are working on on the new product. And so I have seen over and over because new products are based on old products, right? So they take the old product and they change form factors, uh, put a brand new chip that is high speed, for example, high frequency. And then now nobody knew that there was this field issue. Nobody told me and I didn't redesign it. And I just shipped this brand new product with the same issue that has been happening with the old product. This happens so many times. And so lessons learned. Right. That is why I, 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 suggest to companies that that your obey system is a way to ensure that you've got free flowing communication between departments it's very rare and i agree with you it's very rare that a customer complaint or a corrective action ever comes up to the design team and that is where if you looked at common failures across platforms or common failures across products often happens. And you're right. It is because known problems or known issues haven't made its way up the design chain. Right. That is failure of communication. Yeah. Logging the issues. And, and this is really, it's a bit, yeah, it's not just about logging it. It's about how that communication goes back. Up the yes. up the chain oh, yeah. within the company. Yeah. Feedback loop, absolutely. The feedback and with the suppliers. Loop. Yes. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely, absolutely. So this is often a break, and Andrew's correcting what he's saying. That that the the issue of how field failures, or in fact failures online or failures during test, don't make its way back up to the designers. Now that is a failure of your QMS. Yes. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you're not tracking this and you're not even tracking the communication and you're not measuring the communication, mm. then then you, you're not you're not getting the vital information to the people at the design end because simply they haven't been told that something will fail. They are not manufacturing engineers. Mm. They're not reliability engineers. They're designers. Right. And they cannot be expected to keep their finger on the pulse of what's happening within their product when it's out in the marketplace. It's not their, it's not their remit. Absolutely. Right. And okay. yeah, I think is, yeah, as it's time to, to, to wrap up, I think we can all agree as, as, as um, a conclusion, you know, that management has to set the right system, has to set, you know, as you say, the right feedback loops, has to make 
the right facts, you know, uh, visible and make them available to the right people so that the designers can actually work well with the reliability people, with the quality people, um, with the procurement people who will know what, what to do, what not to do. Um, and, and, and that is critical. And without that foundation, uh, a company cannot, cannot be expected to just to, to develop and put on the market good products. Is that a good way of putting it? Well, you know, I was going to say, uh, to your point, just kind of to summarize for uh, our listeners. So I think that you have to look at it this way, you know, if, if you're looking at it from high level. For the design point, of, design and development point of view, you must have a way of identifying your issues before it goes to manufacturing. You must be able to validate the product and mm-hmm. verify if there are any issues before you go to high volume manufacturing. Once you go to manufacturing, you have to also find an inspection point, like uh, to Clive's point, and and you need to do some pilot runs and materials and components. You have to have a process for incoming quality control, FAI, um, mm-hmm. in-process quality control, or outgoing quality control. You know, you have to have ORT, ongoing reliability mm-hmm. testing. You have to have all of these processes in place to find the issues before it goes out the door. Yeah, I mean, I, I would add to Andrew's point there. What is the point of building a prototype is to find out where it fails. <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. Yeah. One of the key objectives of prototypes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not to find um, out how it works or if it works, it's to find out why it fails. <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah, thanks. So it's, yeah, it's time to wrap up uh, to make sure the episode doesn't last two hours. Uh, but um, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. I think that that was a great discussion. Thanks a lot, Clive. Thanks a lot, Andrew. You're welcome. Uh, Thank you, Andrew. Yes, same here. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure we'll see you. uh, We'll hear from you again in in future podcasts, maybe uh, probably on related topics. Thanks for the listeners. I'm sure this was uh, quite quite, um, an an enlightening and interesting discussion. Uh, And uh, you will hear from us next week as usual all right so uh, speak to you next week thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the sophie's group we're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in asia including inspections auditing new product development support contract manufacturing 3pl warehousing and fulfillment and much much more across asia's key manufacturing areas Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.